Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready today, we have special guest Matthew Petit, who will be teaching in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 32. The title of the sermon is, Yet Even Now. Here's the third half and conclusion of this three-part study. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 20 through 22. You can write that down for later. We all know the story of Job. Homeboy went through a lot of stuff, went through terrible things. But look, when everything is being torn from Job's life, what happens? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. Then he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return the Lord give the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and all this Job did not sin and charge God with wrong his first response worship turning back to the Lord but then more importantly when when these things are being taken away from Job's life a heart whose treasure and someone whose treasure is in eternity and in the Lord will have a response like this, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see the two opposites between Israel and Job. Someone whose hearts was stored up and, and their treasure was in the Lord versus someone who when all their things were taken away were stripped down and left hopeless. Where's your treasure at? Because this is a, an important thing. In the midst of God's judgment, the mercy that God provides for us doesn't necessarily always change our circumstance when it's happening, right? When we're in this judgment, the situation is crazy. The land is desolate. It's going to take some time for the land to be built up again because of all that's, that's happened. It needs time to heal. It needs time to, to be restored. But when God provides his mercy... It doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but it's using those circumstances to change us, to sanctify us. And that's the more important thing to understand what God is doing here. It's going to take time to restore, but God's using these things to create a change in our heart. And so he continues on uh, restoring uh, the year, a blessing that were destroyed by the locusts. As, and this is another beautiful verse here, as it says, um, in verse 24, the threshing floor shall be uh, full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I send among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. I will praise, um, the praise the name of the Lord who has dealt with you wondrously, and my people shall never be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of the land 
and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never be put to shame again. And I love um, that phrase. He's the years that the locust stole to you, stole from you. I will restore. And I love what Spurgeon said about this. You can't. When time is gone, time is gone. Those are, it's gone. There's no time. Time can't be added. Um, when it's gone, it's gone. But what what God is getting at here is the years of blessing. The years that that sin and the devil robbed from you, I will restore that blessing to you. And it's and it's a beautiful thing because what's happening in the process of registration is what we learned about with the story of Joseph, right? In Genesis 15, verse 20. Um, as for you, you meant evil against me, Job or Joseph talking to his brothers, right? But God meant it for good to bring about many people that should be kept alive, for they are today. And we know Romans 8, 28, uh, for those who love God, all things work together. And for those who are called to his purpose, and I love what's happening in restoration is, you know, because evil and sin in this world is is a part of this world because because of sin. And a lot of the times it's self-inflicted. We fall for the traps of the devil, and it robs us. And, and again, the prince and the ruler of this world is the devil. And when it comes to sin and these things, like God has no part, like no part of sin. And when he tells them, like even when they were worshiping these gods, God's like, I never thought to conceive to ask you to do such a horrific thing. But what God's doing when, when we experience evil and sin is he's trying to turn it around for our for good. And that's what happens in, in when he's restoring things in our life. He's trying to turn that evil and turn those things into good. And that's why it's so important. Like, we all have a testimony to give of what the Lord has done. That's why in, in the Old Testament, they would build up remembrance. Like, remember what God did here. And that's what the Lord is trying to do in each one of our lives is, hey, the evil, the sin, things that were robbed in your life, I'm, I'm trying to turn it around for good. And so the process of restoration occurs within us when we be begin relying upon the Lord, the creator, the provider, instead of the blessing or material ob objects which could be destroyed. And so we'll end here on our, on our third point, um, which is the Lord empowers by his spirit. And it's so important because you can be restored, you can be transformed, but how do you sustain and maintain that? It's only by his spirit. It's only by the Lord. That's why he sent his spirit, uh, the one who comes alongside, the counselor, uh, and, and just everything that it, Jesus said, it's better that I leave and I send my helper because he's with you to the end of the ages. And so, and he tells them, hey, this is the most beautiful part about this is right. Hey, judgment's coming. Get right with me. But I'm here to sustain you and to keep you on this path. As he says in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You and your old man shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit. And so what is the indwelling and the out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit within our lives? We know Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it tells us that when we were saved, when we were born again, that we were sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so now the Spirit dwells within us. And again, the Holy Spirit, His job is the one to, to come alongside of us. 
That's why it's important when we enter the, like when we're studying the word of God, reading the word of God, we ask for wisdom and understanding because that's the job of the Holy Spirit to, to help us do that because without it, it could be it could be rough sometimes, but that's the job of the Holy Spirit It's working inside of our lives. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the work and service that's for others. And so the easiest way to think about that is Galatians five verses 22 to 24. Right. The fruit of the spirit. And I love that image of the fruit of the spirit, because what is fruit meant to do? Right. It's supposed to be for others when you're a fruit tree. A fruit tree doesn't take off of its own supply. The fruit is for others, and that's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What are you producing in your life? That's, that's the thing when, when you're reflecting is, is my time with the Spirit, what is, that, what is that producing? Or even if I'm having time with the Lord in his word, prayer, like what is that producing? It's supposed to outflow from us. It's not meant to be kept from ourselves. And, and you think about a fruit tree, yes, it's to bear fruit. But how does it bear fruit when it's in good soil? When it's, when it's like, when it talks about in Psalm 1, right, that tree planted by the water, right, or Psalm 5. But when it, it's streams of living water, that's what's sustaining it. Because whether the seasons change, the scorching wind, the heat, whatever, the winter, it remains the same because it's near that source. So that's what's so important for the outpouring of the Spirit. And so the Lord promises us, right, that he will pour out his spirit in this latter generation and then signs and wonders of the last days. And so what he's talking here, again, immediate fulfillment, right? And we know ultimately the Lord poured out his spirit during that time. We know about it when in Acts chapter 2 when it goes down in the upper room and then they go out and Peter gives the first sermon. He actually quotes this scripture and the birth of the church starts as 3,000 get saved that day and it goes down. But then ultimately we're living in this scripture in this day and age, right? It's such a beautiful thing because again, my spirit upon all flesh. In the Old Testament, the spirit would go one at a time, one one at a time on, on on someone's life. The spirit would go on to them and, and empower them for what the Lord needed to do. But now the floodgates are open. It talks about torrents of living water and how beautiful image of that. It's not like a little babbling brook. When it talks about torrents of living water, it's like rushing torrents. There's white caps happening. It's it's the impact our life, and this is what God's doing. Is, is, is readily available for us. And he talks about in these last days, right? I will make wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire, the columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood, and before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so why does he gives us these signs, right? Why is he mentioning those things? In First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, I won't read all of it right now, but once again, First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, read that on your own time talks about, you know, the times, the seasons, <laughs> the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. So he talks about sanctify yourself, be prepared, blameless, holy, ready for the Lord, because we're children of light. We're no longer in the darkness. We're no longer stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out everything that's happening. So let us not sleep and, and be like others, but be awake and sober because we belong to this day. So we need to put on the breastplate of faith and love, as Paul says, for the, the helmet of salvation. For Christ has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we are no longer um, 
asleep, but that we're awake and alive with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are. So it's a beautiful thing. And then he ends here in verse 32. And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, they shall be uh, those who escape. And the Lord says, for among the survivors, the Lord whom God calls. And once again, Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 it's God's heart for all to come to repentance and salvation, right? Not wishing any should, should perish. And so what a beautiful thing is yet even in the last days, God, through executing his, his justice, will provide an, provide an opportunity of mercy and salvation that is promised for anyone who cries out with a genuine heart. And this is a beautiful portion of scripture in, in the end because it's literally God empowering by his spirit and saying, hey, Anyone who calls upon my name will be saved. Anyone who needs to get right with me and, and hold it down, I'm here. I'm faithful. My steadfast love, as he mentioned in verse 12, is readily available. And it's so important for us to understand that. And so as we close here, um, some important takeaways is that um, as God, as he remains justice, executing his righteousness on the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord should create a sense of urgency in our lives. And again, it's not an emotional response. It's a reverence and a fear. It's understanding and making a choice that it impacts the way that I live. I loved how um, it was a couple years ago during one of the pastor conference. I think it was Joe Foch was talking from Calvary Chapel, Philly. He told him, you know, he was planning a church and Chuck, uh, he went to go talk to Chuck about it. And because, again, there's always... Like, it looks like it's ramping up, like the Lord's about to come back. And it was during that time, and he was told Chuck, he's like, Chuck, should I, should I plant this church and buy this building? And really, like, he's like, but it's looking like, you know, God's coming back and <laughs> at the end of this year. And something that Chuck told him, and I think this phrase goes beyond church planting. It goes into our everyday lives is this perspective and this heart. And he told him, we should live as if Christ is returning tonight, tomorrow. But we should be preparing and living like if Christ is returning in the next thousand years. Because that's how his gospel is sustained. And it's that balance of us. It's that sense of urgency of like being prepared, blameless, and sanctified in our lives. But this gospel needs to be carried out into generations and further on. And so it's, a, it's important to have that balance, that balanced approach. And then yet even now, God remains merciful as he provides mercy to a genuine heart of repentance. And so God executes his justice through his judgment, judging of sin. He allows us to be chastised, afflictions, because we reap what we sow, consequences, the wages of sin. Um, but it's always leading us towards his mercy, always leading us to experience his mercy or his wrath. Because even in the midst of judgment, he offers mercy for those with a genuine heart of repentance. Those not giving their lip service, their symbols to God, but a genuine heart of repentance to provide mercy that doesn't necessarily change their circumstances, but uses their circumstances to change them, to change their heart, to change within them. And then finally, the Lord empowers by his spirit. Um, this is so essential for our lives, the Holy Spirit, because without it, we can't do nothing. We don't have an ability. We have finite power. And we're, we're like, a, <laughs> like someone running their head against the wall trying to knock it down. It's not going to happen. 
we're going to knock ourselves out before we knock down that wall. But there's an infinite dynamic power. That's what it talks about in Acts 1.8, a dunamis power that we've been given by the Lord to live out this, this calling from God, right, to, to live a life that's blameless, to live in righteousness, to, to keep in his way. Can't do it on our own. And so it's essential we have the indwelling and the outpouring of the Spirit. And it's promised in Second Chronicles 16.9, right? The eyes of the, uh, the Lord are searching the earth to and fro. God's searching for people who have a fully committed heart that he may strengthen them. And he's strengthening them through their spirit. And so that's what God's searching for. And that gives us hope that we can bank on that promise of God. And to understand that, man... All these signs and these wonders, it's just the earth groaning, and it's these labor pains of the Lord is coming back. And it provides us with hope that he's fulfilling his word and he's keeping his promise, and that we know that Jesus, who is the Son of God, who died on the cross, rose from the grave, he conquered sin, that we, he has provided us this opportunity of redemption and transformation, and to be restored through God's mercy, and to be empowered and sustained by his spirit. And so... I want to end with this, um, and it was funny, I wasn't even going to really teach this study today. I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to come up with something else and this and that, and, but I, the Lord is like, no, you need to, you need to teach it, because I didn't have, like, it's just the Lord made it, this was the only way this needed to be taught, was this in Joel chapter 2, and, and it makes me laugh, because I'm like, man, this really isn't like a, a Sunday morning, like, type of teaching, but you know what, this is what God had for his word today. But something that he had gave me, and I was originally going to go off of, but now I see how the Lord brought it in. Because, as I mentioned before, right, the simplistic message of uh, Joel is the day of the Lord is near. God's judgment is upon us. How will you respond? And I think even more for us today as in this church is how will you be found on that day? That's so much more important. And when you're found on that day and when you're going to meet with the Lord— how will you be found with him? You, I, in First Kings 19, you can read that on your own time. I'm going to kind of pick and get some verses, but, you know, I like the life of Elijah in this chapter because homeboy just came off of three years where God told him there's going to be no rain and, like, you're, you just tell him there ain't going to be no rain and, like, it's going to go down and they're going to come for your life, but I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep you, and... So, like, that's all happening with Elijah for three years. God's sustaining him, keeping him. Eventually, the Lord tells him, hey, it's time. I'll, I'll bring them back the rain. And then he goes off into the mountain with Baal. And it's this whole crazy scene that's happening with they're cutting themselves with, with Baal. And, and then the Lord's showing up. It's this radical thing. But then all the, the prophets die and all this. And then when you come to chapter 19, you come to where Jezebel heard about these things, right? And... And she was smart. She was such a wicked woman, like a wicked ruler. Like it, it, when you really read about like how, because she could have sent, like she sends a messenger to find Elijah and the messenger finds him. And if she really wanted to, he could have been taken out. But why doesn't he take her? Uh, why didn't she take him out? Because it would have made him look like a martyr coming off of this great mighty battle. It only helped him. But what she does is she strategically puts fear into him. And what happens is she sends the messenger and she tells him the, to say this, so many gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them tomorrow, uh, 
basically saying like, hey, when I find you, I'm going to get you. And what does Elijah do? Then he was afraid, he rose, and he ran from his life, and he came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his uh, servant there. And then we find him under this tree after a day's journey, traveling. He traveled to the southernmost point of Judah, and he's walking. It's a day's journey, and what happens? He's exhausted, and he's laying under that tree, and he's like, you know what, Lord? I'm done with this. Take me back. Take, take my life. And what's so beautiful is the Lord doesn't treat him like an, he treats him, he's like, you knucklehead, get up and get going. Because what's happening here is Elijah's trying to figure, he's doing the same thing Israel did when it came to getting right with God. He's trying to do it in his terms. And he's trying to figure out his, his way of doing it. And he's ex- literally exhausted himself trying to fulfill what God's called him to do. And... And it leaves him in that place of just complete exhaustion. But what does the Lord do? He sends uh, an angel to touch him and says, Arise and eat. You're exhausted. But then the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, Arise and eat. The journey is uh, too far great for you. And I love it's the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's a Christophany. It's, it's Christ, right? The angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. So usually that's an appearance of Christ. And I love what he tells him, tells him, get up and eat because you're, Elijah, you're still, there's still something meant for you here to do. Like I'm not, you may be done, but I'm not done with your life. You're my servant and let's keep going. Don't give up now. Don't walk by sight because you walking by sight into trying to do all these things has led you to be exhausted and ready to go. And he gets him up and going and then he, he, he shows, he reveals his glory to him. And it's such amazing. It's the wind, the earth, the fire. And what he's showing him is he's reminding him, man, I'm control of all these aspects of life. Forces of nature, kings and rulers, like, and I've sustained you before. So stop looking at the temporal situations that set your eyes on to me. But I love what he tells him is, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He tells him that twice. What are you doing here? And he gives him, Elijah gives him this churchy answer. He tells him uh, this straight up. He says, uh, Elijah, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altar, killed your prophets with the sword, and even I am only left. They seek to kill my life and take it away. Elijah is, is exhausted. He's like, I'm the only one left. It's up to me, and I'm done. And then what is the angel, Elijah, what are you doing here? It still doesn't get you to the point of why you're here. And I love what, what happens is like we face these moments in life where we, there's stuff in our life that's happening, there's stuff happening in the world, and it overwhelms us, and we get to that point where we exhaust ourselves trying to fulfill these things and to do these things. But what's so important for us is, is understanding this is like, that God is trying to change us and constantly grow us and to sustain us. And it's only by his spirit that he needs to, he can give us the ability to keep doing what he's called us to do. Because I like what he does here. He tells them, again, like, let's get up and let's go rest because there's a journey ahead. And what happens in the rest of that chapter is he gets his eyes off of him and he tells Elijah, this he says go and return your way into the wilderness and 
and go start like raising up the next generation. <laughs> like the next generation is ready to go. And at the end of that chapter, he finds Elijah or Elijah and he tells him like, hey, anoint him. Start looking into the next generation and, and there's still work to be done. And so when it comes to us concerning the day of the Lord and getting right in our li own lives, it's for a purpose. Because, again, this gospel isn't sustained and shouldn't be kept within the walls. It shouldn't be kept within one generation. It's supposed to go out. And all of us have an important role to play. And I've said it before. So many people, like, yes, we have our own generations. Like, yes, like, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, like, this is our generation. It don't matter your age, no matter where you're at. This is our generation, and we have a role to play. And it's so important that we play that role that God has given us to play. And so, as and just how will you be found? And where are you today? Because at the end of the day, yet even while we're like Elijah, where we're completely exhausted and we've tried all our solutions to try to fill the plan of God, yet even now, I will empower you by my spirit and my mercy is here for you. Or even if you're like Israel today, where you done spent the year, the locusts have stolen a lot from you. Yet even now, return to me. Bring your heart, not your garments towards me. And I'm, I'm here to empower and save by my spirit. Amen. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 